Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We are going back to the Sugar Club on Thursday the 28th of September with a brilliant lineup of special guests and you. Come along, grab the tickets, eventbrite.ie. The link is at the bottom of this podcast. I also continue to need to ask you to help keep this podcast platform going. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise It is the easiest bit of activism you can do on a monthly basis. That price of a fancy cup of coffee to you keeps the mics on and the conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. And I say it all the time, it's not a one-way street. You get access to our entire back catalogue now of nearly 1,300-odd podcasts. And you get them as quickly as I can turn them around completely plea-free. And that includes podcast this week with John Barry on a new Shrapnel episode. And Professor Richard Murphy joined us from the UK to talk about how to implement wealth taxes that will actually work and not cause capital flight. Another great podcast with Richard. Always enjoy chatting to him. So if you want to hear that now, it's available right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoise Please, please, please click the link and join us. Let's keep this show on the road. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing, liking and recommending this to everyone else. We really appreciate it. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, we're back talking about one of the topics that you've had uh, a little bit of a bee in your bonnet about for the last little while. But the gentleman who's joining us, Solicitor Simon McGar, has uh, has been talking about for many a year. Simon, first of all, thanks for talking to us today. It's good to see you again. How are you keeping? Always nice to be here. Thanks a million. Not at all. Um, August, I, I heard fresh and Simon. He, he was talking about this too. A shanner in that case. Shanner. Oh, well, look, um, uh, uh, for for people uh, not from this island, the the lads were speaking German, um, <laughs> but just, <laughs> but, but just, just look, we are going to talk. Believe it or not, one of Simon's uh, Simon's main um, uh, bugbears for a number of years, RTE, and how it's funded. Uh, Martin, you made the point the other day to me on the pod. That RTE is gone. It's gone. Well, the 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 concept of RTE as we now understand it, um, it can't continue on the model that it's continuing at the moment. It can't. It, it it's it has reached its time. Its day is done. Uh, the idea of chasing people down for a license fee; those days are gone. Okay, well, let's let's say that we've you've introduced a bit more nuance in the last thirty six hours, but but we'll also add to that that RTE. The argument really is that it is insolvent, and we just haven't we haven't said it is so yet. You know, we're talking about in terms of a bailout. Simon, give us your considered and long, longly, uh, long term developed thoughts on this, if you don't mind. Sure. So let's start. Let's start. The original form of Irish broadcasting was that it was introduced with a hybrid model where half of the money came from advertising and then a chunk of it came from a license fee. The idea of the license fee emerged from a world where televisions in particular were luxury goods. And so why should the general public pay for the uh, pleasure of only the wealthiest of people who own televisions? So, of course, the people who want to watch the television could pay for it. But there was never an update which resulted in the idea of the license fee being revised after televisions moved out of the luxury goods and became a staple item. So we ended up with a very strange idea where we have general taxation of individuals watching televisions of households um, by way of a license fee. And the number of those households is close to 100% who have a television. 
and yet it's considered to be somehow something different than general taxation. So once you had, uh, as we, we saw in the last couple of months, RTE ended up with three problems. It had a problem where it had uh, discovered it was starved of cash. It was also partly as a result of being starved of cash, relying heavily on the commercial arm to generate further interest and uh, you know, commercial monies by um, buttering up advertisers. I mean, much of the scandal that was coming out of the, um, the, the, the things that were coming out of the, the RT in the last couple of weeks have been about where people have been, you know, whining and dining or at least flip-flopping and, uh, and, uh, and, and bussing to, uh, to various shows in the Croke Park. It was, so, uh, Simon, Simon, you, you know the distance from Drumcondra to Croke Park. It, you, you, if you don't get a private bus, you wouldn't go. It's too far. How could anyone manage it? How could anyone manage it? So, and then the final problem that they have is actually, a, although it doesn't look like it, it's actually a consequence of that as well, which is that it hasn't built any kind of a meaningful digital future for itself. And therefore, it has an aging terrestrial television audience which unfortunately, by way of aging audiences, is heading into the grave bit by bit. Now, it's not alone in respect of terrestrial broadcasting in, in, that, in that front. That's a problem that all terrestrial broadcasters face. The difference with RDE is that it's specifically taken no action to try and build a credible model for its digital future. So those are its problems. And the problems all come down to the fact that... Um, the system was built to do two incompatible things. It was built to do public service broadcasting funded by advertising. And that's really a very difficult model to try and justify. It can be done, perhaps, in certain circumstances. But for the national broadcaster, it turned out to be a very uh, lean few years as advertising fell away and the license fee, i.e., the sort of the public element of its funding didn't grow uh, to meet the gap. Okay, just just want to say put a couple of things in con in uh, to you know speak in the wider context of media. And Simon, you'd understand this as well. That obviously other organizations, be it Virgin Media and stuff, would say, well, look, RT has an advantage here because they have both the license fee and they have the 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 corporate interest. They can get the avail of sponsors. They also have, in a way, sometimes a de facto. Monopoly power in, in in terms of some of the the, the way that they they can they can actually attract the income streams that are not available to you know um, uh, other media outlets that are privately owned and and I suppose and then the third part of that is is that what seems to have been one of the reasons they spent so much money in this barter account was to keep that gravy train going to reward the sponsors that 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 that, that to, to keep perpetuating this uh, this idea that this is what was happening but we know from even from a news perspective which is the public services broadcaster that Martin you've heard it yourself it was said to you when you had a story you spoke to someone from RTE but the moment you then spoke to someone else in an arrival arrival thing RTE decided they were no longer going to run the story because they wanted the exclusive first on it and there is you know so there is it it does mix two incompatible things so you have uh rt the news organization rushing for scoops you then have rt the entertainment organization trying to fund 
through the model that's there. But what's forgotten too is that there is an awful lot of state money going to RTE anyway. I mean, one third of of TV licenses are paid by the Department of Social Welfare. That's a massive influx of government money into RTE, plus individual programs. We've well, seen actually, yeah. So, 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 Martin, I actually think that's really crucial. Simon, so, you said advertising revenues falling away, and that is that's absolutely true. But during COVID, we saw more and more media outlets rely entirely almost on this set. This is this is an initiative by the government of Ireland advertising campaign. And that has become a real problem. Like, I mean, I can't watch a bus go by without me now being told that, you know, have you availed of your 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 rent credit? The government of Ireland are bringing it to you. So this is where we are now, where we're well, there probably I, I, the I kind of, advertisers. I, I kind of feel that we are almost at central funding anyway. Um if we if we removed all the 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 hidden agendas that we would, you know, Ortiz funding is pretty much central funding as we speak with some TV license and advertising thrown in. And I think I'd be interested to hear Simon is is interested in central funding of RT, Simon. So my proposal is that RT go back to the core of what it is for as a public service broadcaster and that we solve that original attempt to make it funded, funded by driving two horses at once, and that we simply remove advertising from RT as a funding source. So if we were to decide that we were going to do that, are we going to increase the license fee in order to make up the difference? I say no. I say that a license fee is an inappropriate funding system, and that the correct funding system is that it should come out of the general exchequer funds. The benefit of that is that some of the largest sources of exchequer money aren't touched by the license fee. So, for example, if you want to make sure that uh, corporate tax pays a portion of the public service uh, uh, broadcasting fees, the only way to do that is by way of uh, a slice of the general taxation fund from the exchequer. Now, the problem is that... uh, the worry, and it's fair, the worry that has been voiced about that is that if you have a 100% annual budget line for RTE, where the minister decides that this year we're giving this much for RTE, it leaves the public service broadcaster entirely beholden to the annual budget from the government of that year to, to survive. And if it didn't do what it would be told, the pressure would be that there would be a price to be paid. And, and so, That's Simon, just Simon, something I wanna, we have seen. Uh, something we've also seen very close across the just across the water where those points have been made by recent Tory governments in in documents that have leaked out where it's kind of more or less said, you know, uh, we're going to make you smaller next year. Yes, um, I mean, we should not forget that Sean Manas announced that the purpose of RT was to be the mouthpiece for government policy. So it was, in a way, the license fee did have a value in insulating the uh, channel from uh, the immediate day-to-day decision-making of individual ministers at the same time as it was trying to get those ministers to answer potentially hard questions. So my proposal is, instead of working on a day-to-day or a year-by-year budget line income, that you pass a law tying funding to the general exchequer. So if the taxes go up, the funding goes up as a proportion, so call it half a percent, 
um, or you could say 0 0.07, whichever you prefer to pick. But if you were to do it where you were uh, delivering approximately the same amount of funding as RTU had in 2016, which would be 0.7%, uh, less than 1% of the total funding, they would have been uh, slightly below the 2016 uh, total funding, that is to say, including advertising and license fee together. But by 2021, there would have been 472 million as opposed to 344 million, so that they would have ended up with 128 million more. Now, you might say to the Simon, it's hardly the time to be arguing for paying out to you more money. But I think that what we need to do is look at not at how much money are we spending, but rather are we addressing the fundamental problems which RTE has demonstrated it has. And I think the fundamental problem it has demonstrated is that it has been under enormous financial pressure and that it has relied too heavily on advertising to fill the gap that that financial pressure has created, with the result that the channel as we see it, or the broadcaster as we see it now, has suffered a crisis in the very heart of uh, its fundraising ability, even in the license fee. You see there are now shortfalls in people paying the license fee since the last couple of months' standards. And it seems that the government is intent on filling the hole, but extracting a price, which is precisely the form of interference, which at the same time, the government will tell you it doesn't want to do, and so therefore it doesn't want to introduce its get the funding. So that does seem to me to be a, 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 a difficulty, which if we don't address it, we simply won't have a public service broadcaster to rely upon. On the issue of having a public service broadcaster, Simon, my feeling, and it is certainly only a feeling, is that we do actually need a public service broadcaster. We're quite a small country. We can't actually compete with international broadcasters on the level we need to c compete. So I would say that we need a national broadcaster. I also see now is the time to tackle it, to, to grab the nettle, the bull by the horns, and to actually make an RTE that works and is representative of the people that it's meant to serve. The key no, factor, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing that you just pour more money into the current vessel. I completely understand there has to be some that substantial cultural and, and management changes in respect of RTE as it is at the moment before you could justify these kinds of radical uh, re-overhaul. Re but at the same time, we cannot say we want there to be a public service broadcaster that broadcasts on behalf of the public and yet also say that we don't want to pay for it. And whichever way you cut the cake, Someone's got to pay for it. And I would prefer that that would come out of yeah. all of the sources of that, money. Yeah, but that's it. Okay, so that's it. I, I, I get now. So, as we know, PBP, Paul's, Paul Murphy had, had, had suggested, you know, a taxation on, on the digital companies, on the tech industry. And we know that, first of all, that's probably unworkable. Right, you know, uh, because we've seen we can't even get a digital tax going at a EU level. So we know of, of this. But what you're saying is, well, look, we take it by doing this, um, we'll 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 all carry the well, burden. Therefore, corporate Ireland will also carry some of the burden. Yeah, and, um, and whatever other form of tax there is coming in, you've got to remember that this isn't a piece of money 
that when being spent will require somewhere else to put back. We're already but, billions uh, in surplus I, I, in, I, I, in respect of the I, monies that's collected. It's funny, our, our, our look, our billions and billions, and, and, and I have huge problems with how that's been framed at the moment and how it's, you know, how our our taxation system works but nonetheless to go back to what one of martin's key points and martin i'm sorry for speaking for you so correct me if i'm wrong but you know what's happened also within rte simon in terms of employees and those who are bogus self-employed you know any sort of bailout of those could be seen to be a way of washing away the sins of the past and that's something that that you know means that there's no actual reckoning for the um the you know the the bad and shoddy and frankly um fraud uh, that took place in terms of some aspects of how people were employed in RT for a number of years now and that's something that that should actually we should have some sort of accountability for. The question is really one in terms of there's a question about institutional behaviour, and I think institutional behaviour is very much dependent on where you put the institutional incentives. And then there's a separate question of individual behavior inside the institutions. And I think that's a different question. It's almost a management question as opposed to a structural question. I'm certainly not qualified to make a decision on HR and management issues. But I really do think that if you put the institutional incentives towards serving the public and giving the public, do away with a license fee, do away with, with advertising, fund it properly, and then make sure that you have the oversight or the regulator, whichever works better, to deliver a organization which is fit for spending that money in a way which serves the public, which is what its purpose is. I mean, you've got enormous moral clout if you fund the, the company more, and then you say, but there's a price, and that price is not a question of broadcasting or editorial interference one of cultural change. Yes. Now, I agree with you on that, Simon. Very much so. It has to be a question of cultural change. The other thing I would like to say about it all is that nobody over 70 pays for pays for a TV license and very few under 35 actually watch RTE. Therefore, it's those in the middle. This is the people in the middle's issue. Um, those who actually watch and fund RTE are 35 to 70 years of age, and they're the ones who have the clout to do something. And the government needs a national broadcaster more than the people do. So I see a real time of opportunity right now. I think that definitely this is a better time to do something radical in respect to the funding of RTE than there has ever been. And in part, that's because something radical has to happen in some direction because all the old formulae have fallen apart. You simply can't make the sums add up with advertising plus license fee as matters stand today. That's right. Okay, so we're all in agreement on that. The one issue, Simon, that is a problem and needs more more talk time than we probably have today is the idea of this, well, I don't know what the phrase is, the phrase Chinese wall the correct way. So if we're going to fund it this way, how do we make sure that a public service broadcaster is not then behooving on the whims of of uh, a minister for uh, for 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 
uh, fucking t- television, you know, because now I want to be fair because Catherine Martin has regularly been called the Minister for RTE and has been carrying that um, moniker, uh, uh, perhaps unfairly given to her by members of the of the media themselves, because there's also a lot of backbiting that goes on from people who are outside of RTE about the treatment of RTE. So there is that issue as well. Yes, I think that there's no doubt that, that there are some elements in respect of this that are, you know, what one might term, uh, commercial envy in respect of access to a, um, a license fee funding that isn't available to anyone else. But I think in circumstances where the license fee is gone and advertising is gone, you might think that the commercial envy would vanish also. I think as the pie would now be available to be divided amongst all the other people who are uh, looking for advertising. But, but all the other people would still have advertising. There's nothing wrong with that. They should oh, be able to I, access I, advertising. I, I, I think there is. <laughs> I think there is. But they're not put forward as public service broadcasters. That is the difference. That is the difference. I, I, and I mean, is... this is... This is almost, I mean, your model is a private service broadcaster in, in that <laughs> the Patreon model is, uh, is intended to help the people who can pay for it and they, they contribute to it. And sometimes some of it escapes out into the general public as well. Uh, that's but yours fair. is a, 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 a private we, service broadcaster. But we put everything, we put like 98% of our stuff out, Simon, for free. But that this is exactly where I would come in. And I would say that there is such a thing as uh, loss journalism good journalism that's not going to make money because it's not sexy and that's really what you want your national broadcaster for and as simon says we are doing that non-sexy stuff on a patreon model (laughs) you know you're not based around advertising you're not based around trying to you know chase the cheap book and uh, unfortunately it's not the easy book either but it is it is a it is a model that you know wouldn't work for the public service broadcaster model because you just simply couldn't reach a large enough audience uh, to entertain them across the, the scope of all their interests. I'd love to see Sarah McInerney welcome people to drive time and then say www.patreon.com forward slash drive time. But, you know, what can we do? Uh, but that no, one look, might be a runner. That one but, would but, be a runner. But Simon, I, OK, I still think there's a, there's a lot of, as I said, I don't know if we can solve this one today. But my fear is having looked at the... Um, the ideas around the future of media and how they wanted to to adopt these extra models and you again have written about them it is not it's i wouldn't be confident that we'll get the regulatory piece correct yeah i mean the media commission isn't as they say if i wanted to get there i wouldn't start from here so um maybe that that would have to be looked at as well it's very new um and indeed it continues to happen calcified there's more chance to sort of correct as uh, circumstances require it. It's more difficult to change a bureaucracy that's uh, 20 years old than it is one that's 10 years old or 10 months old. So there's benefits to that as well. But in the end, this comes down to the question, does Ireland want or need a public service broadcaster? And everyone seems willing to pay lip service to the idea that it does. Does it want one that is effective? And everyone seems to understand that it does. And if it does, then it needs to spend money on it. And then the only question is how do we how do we cut the pie to get the money into the into that into that um, system, and how do we ensure obviously as you say some sort of regulatory or oversight system that that creates a culture that recognises that 
It's not doing ads anymore. It doesn't have to chase the largest audience if there's a more valuable thing to be said. That's not to say that RT doesn't currently produce valuable public service broadcasting. It does. Otherwise, we wouldn't think it was worth trying to save it. But it is definitely the case that what we've seen has been the insertion of the commercial arm into the very heart of the organization's culture. And I think one of the biggest changes that the new Director General seems to be offering is to rebalance things back towards um, back towards that public service broadcasting model. Simon, I know this you're on, you're on the hoof, as we say, and thank you very much for doing this interview on the hoof. Um, I'd just like to echo again, now is the time. Um, it has, there has never been a better opportunity to tackle the idea of and the delivery of a national broadcaster. Just before we go, Simon, a little food for thought for people. What was the name of your best-selling book about Ortiz, just so people can go and look at it again? It is. It is. It was. It was the number one best-selling book on the Amazon Irish history about broadcasting list, which is perhaps the most niche list in existence. I was kind of surprised it was a two, three, and four, but it was uh, "Sit Down and Be Counted," and I published it. It's by uh, Lilia Doolan and uh, John Dowling, uh, Jack Dowling, and um, uh, Bob Quinn. And we can get that on Amazon or we can get that on Apple. Just you give us the name. It, of- you can get it on print on demand on Amazon uh, or you can get it as a Kindle book as well. on Amazon. And it's a good food for thought for the position we're in at the moment. One that I'd recommend everybody go and have a read of. Simon McGar, thank you very much for having this conversation with us. Thanks, guys. Just, uh, just to be very clear on this, Simon also thinks that the Patreon model is the way forward. It's the future. He's, he's made it very clear. Um, uh, look, look, thanks, Simon. I appreciate you taking time because I know, as Martin says, you're, you are in transit, as they say. Uh, we have more coming this week. I, I'm sure everybody saw the horrible events, uh, that Human Rights Watch, um, reported at the border of Saudi Arabia where, um, Ethiopian migrants, asylum seekers were murdered, massacred. Um, and one of the people behind that report is Adam Kugel. And I'm hoping to speak to Adam in the next day or so about, about that actual event. So. More bad news coming your way, folks. But uh, stick with us for all the for all those type of all those types of interviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And um, we we'll play out to uh, Simon's favorite, David O'Doherty, yet again. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on page.